0: So good to see you all. How many remember, man, it feels like a lifetime ago and it feels like yesterday, August 2017, Charlottesville, uh, Virginia, demonstrators marched and shouted, they carried tiki torches and they said, the Jews will not replace us. Blacks will not replace us. And we were reminded again that racial turmoil is alive and real and uh, if it, if it was ever in hiding, it had come out of hiding. Um, Earlier in 2017, in our own country, in Quebec City, a young man gunned down six people uh, as they were praying in a mosque. And there's there's a word for this, xenophobia, the fear of the stranger. And it feels like it's on the rise. And I'm not talking about, by the way, you know, immigration policy, which, you know, we can have a we can have a debate about what is helpful and what's not helpful and and what is a a good policy. Uh, I'm talking about something more dangerous, more sinful. And I just want to start by acknowledging that I have a very limited perspective. And so it's with good motives, it's with a pure heart that I'm going to do my best to talk about this holy discontent of mine, something I think is important to Jesus Should be important to Jesus' followers to lead the way in showing love to everyone, regardless of their tribe, their tongue, their nation. If I had prepared better in advance, I would have asked people in this room to share some of their real world experience um, of being a, a victim of obvious and not so obvious indignities in real-world life that they've experienced. You know, I never faced that as a kid. Uh, I had people tease me because of my hair and my teeth and my freckles and my weight and my coordination and my last name and my personality. Everyone here has wounds like that. But there are others in this room who've had the unique wound of experiencing Hatred because of nothing more than your skin, your heritage, your tribe. And I'm, I'm proud of Canada's welcoming spirit. There's this uh, New York Times author, Nicholas Kristof, and he wrote about Canada. It's always nice to hear affirmation from somebody outside of Canada. This is what he wrote. Canada leads the free world and now may well be the finest example of the values of America's Statue of Liberty. Lady Liberty faces the Atlantic Ocean to welcome many of the immigrants traveling by boat to our continent. Canada has emerged as a great country. And, you know, that, that makes me proud. But our nation has been stained by the sin of racism too, hasn't it? We've got our own history to reckon with. You know, in 1876, the Indian Act was passed by the Canadian government, and they seized control of First Nations lands without compensating them. It set in motion this process that would lead to the destruction of many indigenous traditions. I was reading this week, I didn't know this, in 1914 in in Vancouver, Sikhs and Hindus and Muslims aboard the ship uh, Kamagata, Kamagata Maru, they were turned away from our shores because of their ethnicities. Uh, Some of you know in World War II, uh, Japanese in Canada were banished to internment camps. You know, Canada's made a lot of progress in the last 50 years, but we still have our own national sins to reckon with. You know, part of our church's vision statement, it goes like this. We will be a church that makes every effort to introduce people to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, and in which everyone, no matter what age or stage they're at in their spiritual journey, are moving into a closer relationship with God the Father, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. I believe God has called us to a ministry of reconciliation. God, through the Apostle Paul, makes it clear that he commissions you, 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 me, all of us, to be children of this ministry of reconciliation. Let's read from 2 Corinthians chapter five. Here's what Paul writes. For Christ's love, uh, oh, I've got a different version. Let's read your version. Either way, Christ's love controls us since we believe that Christ died for all. We also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ, who died and was raised for them. So, we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. All of this is a gift from God, who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task Of reconciling people to Him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to Himself, no longer counting people's sins against them, and He gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. We become an instrument of reconciliation in the world when and only when we become reconciled to God, okay? So before we are an instrument of reconciliation in a broken and divided world, our first step is to be truly reconciled to God. And one of the signs, I believe, that we have truly uh, come to know God, according to the Apostle Paul in Romans 5.5, is that we have a sense of God's love streaming into our hearts. Uh, God's love is poured out into our hearts. And it actually spills over. With the love that, that we are more loving to other people. Uh, there's a, a theologian, Miroslav Wolf. 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 Miroslav Wolf. And he teaches at Yale. Uh, he was born and raised in the ethnically divided, war torn Croatia. He contends that ethnic cleansing is the result of a, of a false sense of purity in our own race or bloodline. And it's not limited to white folks. Part of the reason why Japanese people in the years leading up to and during World War II subjugated other Asians to cruelty, slavery, even murder, was because they viewed themselves as descendants of gods. And they were therefore superior to other people. They had a false sense of purity. And here in Canada, part of the reason that that colonialists from Europe stole the land of indigenous people, and I think steal seems to be the, the plainest word. As the, the native people, in some cases, were physically forced off the land and never compensated, um, and broke treaties, and enslaved, and murdered, um, was because they saw indigenous people as savages, less than human, you know, heinous. Acts towards First Nation people because they saw themselves as superior because of a false sense of purity. Uh, We have brothers and sisters here at NAC from South Africa who, in our lifetime, you know, were horrifically marginalized because of this deep-seated belief that the white man was superior to the black man. It wasn't hidden, it wasn't subtle. It was just the way it was. God created us just a little more superior than you, and I deal with it. Uh, I, I worked with, well, my last pastor, uh, my last boss, Graham, was born in South Africa. And in 1968, his mom's side of the family had their beautiful Oceanside home in a lovely neighborhood just taken from them. And they were moved to Cape Flat ghettos, which turned into one of the most dangerous places in the world. No compensation, no no request. It was just done to them. And he's of mixed race. Father, white, mother, black. And the government at that time, you may know this, went about classifying people by race. And so if you're white, you got all the the full privileges associated with that. And then lower down the scale was black. You might be assigned a number even. So whites, one, blacks, two. And then there was what they called um, colored or mixed race, which Graham got assigned. That was, might be number three. And then there was the Asian designation as well. That might be number four. And all visitors to the country had to go through this number classifying system. Well, Graham tells this story that, I mean, it's so ironic, it blows my mind. There was one time a delegation of Japanese businessmen came to visit South Africa, and Japan was a big trading partner of South Africa. And uh, as the special guests of this country, the government negotiated to give the Japanese visitor, visitors the designation of, are you ready for this? Honorary whites. Ah, oh, isn't, that, isn't that nice? Get to be an honorary white for your visit here. Um, most of us have not been directly involved in a literal genocide or an apartheid of a people group. But I suspect almost all of us have fallen prey to stereotyping people of other Races or ethnicities, racially profiling people, maybe in our imaginations, you know? And stereotypes are not harmless in that they consciously and unconsciously affect the way we treat people. Have you ever, have you ever um, walked by someone of another race ethnically and, and you're on the sidewalk and some stereotype pops into your imagination? Um, Miroslav Wolf observes that when Jesus began his ministry, he not only remade things, he renamed things. He called things clean that other people called unclean. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 6, 17, we read it, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. And in verse 16, so from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. When we meet Jesus, we become new, and so we no longer see people from a worldly point of view. When we are transformed by our relationship with Christ, we see people differently because what we see is shaped by who we are, a child of the king. One of the clearest signs that we are being changed by Christ is that we don't see people through a racist lens, and instead we see the Beauty of God's image in others, particularly those who are different from us. We recognize that all have the Amago day, the Amago day. It's a Hebrew word. It, it means the image of God. So we see the Amago day in everyone, that they've been created in God's image. So what can we do? I, I, I think it can start with some acknowledgement of the past, acknowledge even our limited culpability, if you will. We can acknowledge what happened to our indigenous brothers and sisters. We can listen to their stories, uh, our First Nations neighbors. And in doing so, it, it may be a small thing, but it's saying, I see you, I hear you. Um, and again, that may seem superficial to you, but I think it's more Um, more important to our indigenous neighbors than we maybe realize. You know, in a sad twist of irony, the host people of our country were not given the right to vote in federal elections until 1960. You know, the native people who had stewarded our land were not given a voice in who would govern them. I've I've heard stories of little First Nations boys and girls being being taught in so-called Christian schools that God made a mistake when he made them Indian. And that mistake was being corrected through anglicizing them, if you will, removing any vestiges of their, of their culture or language or identity. They were made to feel shame about it. If and if there are indigenous people listening to, vi- to my voice, maybe even through the podcast, as a, as a leader in a Christian church, from the bottom of my heart, I, I say to you, I am so sorry for what the church did to your people in the name of Jesus. The abuses don't reflect the heart of Christ. And so I'm sorry and I ask, I ask for something that we don't deserve, your forgiveness. The Apostle John, he challenges us in Scripture. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. You know this story. We actually talked about it last summer. Uh, Glenn Robinson did a great job uh, teaching on this Terrible. But in, in Luke chapter 10, there's this interesting encounter that Jesus has with an expert in the law. This guy comes up to Jesus and asks a question. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus does what he often does when asked a question. He answers the question with a question. He says, well, what's written in the law? And the guy responds. It says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you nailed it. That's right. Now go and do that. Well, then this expert asks a very pointed, very specific, very clarifying question. The guy in verse 29 wanted to justify himself, it says. Um, he knows he's supposed to love his neighbor, so he asked Jesus, what question? He says, who is my neighbor? I know I'm supposed to love people. I love my neighbor. I need to know who is my neighbor. In other words, if I'm to love people um, who are liberal, but I'm conservative, do I have to love them? Do I have to love people who are Pentecostal because I'm Catholic and we're very different, we don't agree on things? Do I have to love people who have like weird hair and tattoos and nose piercings and those goth kids? Do, Do we have to love people when they're drunk and who cuss and... Are living in sin? Um, What if they speak a different language than we do? Jesus, do I have to love someone who has a different color skin? Who's my neighbor? So Jesus tells a story. He says there was this guy, a Jewish guy, who was going to Jericho, and this band of robbers jump out from a ditch and they beat the tar out of this guy, beat the daylights out of him, and leave him bleeding on the side of the road. This, this dude might die if he doesn't get medical attention. Well, two guys actually walk by and they both happen to be from the same tribe, right? The same team. They're, they're Jewish as well. And one of them is a priest and he sees his Jewish brother over there in the ditch bleeding. What does the priest do? The priest walks on by. And, and you could maybe even understand because if he got near a dead guy, or touched a guy that was unclean, the priest would be himself ceremonially unclean, and therefore he couldn't go to the temple that day. So maybe he could justify why it would cost him too much to stop and help that poor guy. Well, then a Levite goes by. This is another subset of the Jewish race from the tribe of Levi in his 401 blue jeans. And he sees this, you'll get that on the way home, he sees this... Jewish uh, wounded man, and this Levite does the same thing. Pretends like he doesn't see him, and he just walks on by. Well, then Jesus says three words, and you got to understand, when he says these three words, like we don't understand how jaw-droppingly shocking this would have been to his audience. What three words did he say? He said, but a Samaritan... Uh, Not someone of their own tribe, same values, same culture, a Jewish man, but what? A Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. When he saw him, what did he do? The Samaritan took pity on this poor victim, and he went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. Now, why was this such a huge you know, M. Night Shyamalan twist to the story. Uh, The reason this was shocking to that audience is because the Jews hated, hated, hated the Samaritans. And the Samaritans hated, hated, hated the Jews. And this was a 700-year hate fest, hate-a-palooza, okay? Why? 700 years prior when the Jews were exiled, uh, some of them were left behind, and they actually um, intermarried with a different race. They married people who worshipped pagan gods. And when they reproduced, they had children who were from mixed races, one race uh, that had worshipped pagan gods. So the Jewish people hated the offspring who were known as Samaritans. And uh, the Jews would, I suppose, get out their tiki torches and chant, the Samaritans won't replace us, right? This was a seven- 100 year hate. Because the Samaritans were hated by the Jewish people, they did what we all naturally do when someone hates us. We hate right back. Because if you hate me, I'm going to hate you 700 years later. um, Well, this Samaritan guy did one simple act. Instead of walking away, he walked across the road. He took pity on another human being, even, even though he was from a different tribe, different race, this guy showed love to a man that was in need. Dr. Martin Luther King commenting on this story from Jesus, this is what he said, quote, the first question the priest and the Levite asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? Then he said, the good Samaritan reversed the question and said, if I do not stop and help this man, will happen to him this this is in so many ways the heart of the gospel Um, even if they are different from us especially if they are different from us what does love require what does love ask of us what what must i do to inherit eternal life the man asked jesus love the lord your god love your neighbor as yourself why is it that, that many people become racist over time? Um, maybe it's because they've, they've been victims of hatred themselves. You know, some, someone mistreats them because of the color of their skin. Um, maybe someone mistreated someone we love, and because of the color of their skin, uh, we feel like, well, we can't trust them. I don't like them, and they don't like me. Or maybe it's taught, you know, well, our family, we don't hang around those people. We don't, we don't trust them. Or they're all like this. It's a message maybe that's been handed down from generation to generation. Maybe it's just a matter of ignorance, you know. It's a lack of exposure, lack of educating yourself. No matter what the reason, I think we have to recognize this. Racism is not a skin issue. It is a sin issue. Okay? Let me say that again. This is so important. Racism is not a skin issue. Say it with me. It is a sin issue. In fact, James 2.9 says this. If you favor some people over others, what are you doing? Being rude? Being politically incorrect? No, you're sinning. You're sinning. You're breaking the law of God. When you say... Um, I like you because you look like me. My kids can play with your kids because you know they look like our kids. We, we were educated in the same place. We look the same way. We, we're in the same economic sphere. I, my wife had a little girl that uh, she was talking to, and uh, she had this sheepish grin. She couldn't have been more than seven or eight years old, and Vicky uh, got it out of her that there was a little boy that she liked. And uh, said, Tell me about this little boy I like. You, you know, I think she said, just sort of teasing, Do you think you'll marry him one day? And she said, Oh, no, no. My, my mom said that she doesn't want little brown grandbabies. Wow. 2019. Anytime we act, like that. It is not a skin issue. It is a sin issue. We have to call it what it is. It is not right before God, and it should not be right with us. You know, my, my experience as a teen, I was that kid in the, in the Martin Luther King t-shirt, right? Uh, I, when my friends went to Back to the Future 2, I went to Mississippi burning. That was like, I was the woke teenager, right? And it has something to do with, I think even, the holy discontent, I wouldn't have called it at that time, but about, about the bullied, about the underdog. And, and I've had to reckon with that sort of prideful wokeness, if you will, because it covers my own blind spots, my own sinful stereotypes that I have to reckon with. So we need... We need God's help in this for us to really be honest, to be transparent, to be convicted and recognize our own prejudice. Lord, help us. Help us recognize our prejudice. This is really difficult to do because, you know, prejudice are difficult to see in the mirror because we've lived with them for so long. They've been assumed. It's just how, how it is And um, it gets to the point where we can't even see them ourselves. You know, even if our our prejudice mindset or our racist attitude isn't intentional, it is still real and it is still sinful. What does the word prejudice mean? Well, it means prejudging. It's a preconceived opinion that is not based on reason or actual experience. I bet most of you... Um, if you had the courage to be really honest, would admit um, that you were raised most likely with some type of prejudice. Why? Because we're sinful people and we're predisposed to making wrong judgments about people. Maybe you grew up um, being implicitly or explicitly taught that heavy people are lazy or uh, the younger generation are all entitled Or, you know, all church pastors are greedy crooks. Or, um, certain ethnicities don't drive well. Or, one gender is not as smart as the other. Or, blondes are dumb. Or, white guys can't jump. Or, you know, I don't know what it is. But you grew up thinking certain things about certain people. And we have to have the courage to acknowledge it and say, you know, maybe I'm... I'm prejudiced about such and such. Listen, if you have ever said, I'm not racist, but, there is nothing good that comes after that sentence. (laughs) Nothing, okay? I'm not racist, but, just stop. Stop right there. Acknowledge your own prejudice at some degree, some level. We have to just own it. And it takes honesty, it takes some courage, it takes integrity to... To recognize truthfully any prejudice, any racism, to admit it before God, to repent of it. Uh, so, number one, we're going to acknowledge that we are prone to this, and second, we're going to seek to understand those who we've prejudiced, those who might be different from us. Third thing is this: we're going to love those who are very different from us, love them deeply from the heart, because that—that's what God calls us to do. In fact. To me, one of the most moving stories—a um, a love that crossed the road, if you will, like the Good Samaritan—happened in 1996, the year Vicky and I were married. And a group of Ku Klux Klan members held a rally in Michigan, and the police knew that there's going to be tension, and so they actually put up a barrier between the KKK and those who were protesting the hate. Well, there was this guy who infiltrated the protesters' side, and he was wearing a Confederate flag t-shirt and white supremacist tattoos on his arm. Well, someone pointed him out and said, kill the Nazi, kill the Nazi. Well, suddenly everybody ran and started beating this guy up. Well, There was this 18-year-old girl named Keisha Thomas, an African-American girl, who ran and threw her body over this man, to protect him from those blows. And here's the famous picture of this. What in the world would cause an 18-year-old girl to put herself at physical risk to protect a man who would most likely wanted to harm her if he had the opportunity? Who does that? Let me tell you who does. A committed follower of Jesus does. Interviews later on TV said that her faith played a big role in this. And then she said, and I quote, I knew what it was like to be hurt. The many times that it happened to me, I wish someone would have stood up for me. That's how you show the love of Jesus. In in fact, she got more national platform to speak out on issues of faith and racial reconciliation. And so I was very interested in what she said. She was talking about how you don't have to do big things to show love to people. And so here I quote Keisha, and this is what she said. The biggest thing you can do is just be kind to one another. It can come down to eye contact or a smile. It doesn't have to be a huge monumental act. Well, what is that? It's, it's, it's showing love. It's showing decency, honor, respect, consideration, treating another human being as though... They've been created mago day in the image of God. So how is the world going to know that we're followers of Jesus? Do you, do you know what the Bible says? Let me first tell you what it doesn't say. It doesn't say they will know we are followers of Jesus by our perfect theology. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say they will know we're followers of Jesus by our church attendance. Well, I've been a member of such and such a church since 1972 doesn't say that. doesn't say they'll know we're followers of Jesus if we've been baptized, which is super important, or if we give money, on and on and on. The Word of God says that they'll know that we're followers of Jesus if we what? Love one another. Love one another. Not just loving those who look like us and are in our tribe, who are born with the same color of skin, but if we love our neighbor, who is our neighbor? Your neighbor is, your neighbor is the next person you come in contact with. Ooh, that's, you should be writing this down. Your, your neighbor is the next person you come into contact with. And how do you love them? You love them as you've been loved. How did Jesus love you? Well, let me tell you what. While I was sinning, Jesus died for me. Scripture teaches that why we were still sinning, why we were enemies of God, Christ died for us. He didn't die for us because we were good. He died for us because he is good. Amen is right. Is that my wife? Good girl. <laughs> he loved me when I didn't deserve it, and because I have been freely loved, what do I do? I reflect that type of love to others. There is one race, it's the human race. And I I pray you feel more than just my heart on this. I pray that you feel God's heart, that all are welcomed into his kingdom, all are loved, all are welcomed here at NAC. I love what Paul said in Galatians 3.28, there was so much racial tension And uh, it, it revolved around who was a Christian, who in the early church, who was not, who was in, who was out. And Paul said this, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you're all, what? You're all one in Christ Jesus. You're all one. We celebrate that God loves Asian Canadians and African Canadians and Latin Canadians and Aboriginal Canadians and even cat-loving Canadians and country music-loving Canadians. That's how good God's love is. He loves them all. God loves Cubans and Hondurans and Nigerians and Jamaicans and Koreans and Malaysians and Iranians and Syrians. Uh, listen, when we all get to heaven, uh, they're all going to be represented there. And you recognize this when you read John's vision of heaven. Here's what he said in Revelation 7. Uh, This is powerful. He saw heaven and said, There before me was a great multitude that no one could count. Where are they from? They were from every tribe, every nation, and every people, and every language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God. Who does it belong to? Somebody help me. Salvation belongs to not my God, our God. Holding hands with people from different tribes, different nations, different languages. You know, if we spend uh, eternity in heaven, certainly we can have a meal together on this side of heaven with somebody who's different than us. Um, If that's what heaven's like, we might as well show just a little piece of that love here on earth. Racism is not a skin issue. It's a sin issue. It's unacceptable to God. It's unacceptable to Christ's followers. It will not be tolerated in this church. The only debt we have is the debt of love. To love God who has joined us and, and therefore love one another. Listen. Last time I checked, you don't have any control over where you were born, uh, any control over what your skin color was. You didn't pick that. Doesn't matter where you come from. Doesn't matter what color your skin. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter how bad you've been. You know what Romans says? Says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. I wonder how many. How many of you this morning want to be part of the solution and never be part of the problem again? You know, as I have been loved by God, I want to show his love to everyone all the time, all over, all over the church, no matter if you've been hurt. Um, if you would say that you want to be on God's side, showing his love, a part of the solution, never part of the problem, would you just raise your hand right now? Say yeah, amen. Amen. God, I want to thank you for churches full of people who who want to get this right. God, um, we take a moment even now just to examine our own hearts and we repent of any prejudice that may be in our heart. Father, I pray especially for those who've been hurt, who've been wronged, who've been overlooked, who've been rejected, who've been mistreated, God, I pray that they'll experience your grace somehow, that you would, you would give them grace to forgive others. For those of us, God, who've um, wronged people or even just judged in our hearts, God, would you forgive us? Would you change us? God, there's no Jew, there's no Gentile, there's no male or female, slave or free. We are one under Jesus. Help us to show that type of oneness, that type of love. Amen.